Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus. Today I want to talk to you about living in rest. Living in rest. Not just getting some rest. Living in rest. Some of you came here today, you look like you might need a little rest. But uh, the salvation that is by grace, through faith, and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, is one of rest. It's one where we understand that Christ did all the work, Christ did all that was necessary, and it was only on Him, only He could do it, only He could perform what needed to be performed for God to no longer count our sins against us. Thank you, Lord. And he finished it. Aren't you grateful to God that Jesus started it and he finished it? He finished that work. He said, it is finished. But I want you to, we're going to take a look back a few years, many, many years, and see what God required of people when it came to rest. All right? Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. In other words, relax or die. (laughs) That's what God was saying. Anyone who works on the Sabbath must be put to death. It's not you get time in jail or, you know, you might get penalized. No, you die. Wow. So God takes rest seriously, apparently. Hmm? And if we're just looking at this on the surface, apart from any revelation of Jesus, this is crazy. I mean, this is extreme. This is bizarre. A bit absurd, if you ask me. What, what universe has, can you possibly, well, I guess our universe, because that's where it happened, but what, what, does, what punishment fits this crime like this anywhere else? I mean, you understand that if you do something wrong, you understand that there's, you know, you commit a crime, then there's a consequence for that, but... This says that if you refuse to do nothing, you'll die. All the lazy people said amen. (laughs) (laughs) All right. It makes no sense without Jesus. But with Jesus, it makes perfect sense because we learn from the scripture that Jesus is the Sabbath, He is the Sabbath rest for us to enter into. And that free gift of God's grace, the free gift of God's grace demands that we all place our complete and total trust in Jesus for salvation or else die in our own futile attempt and effort to earn it ourselves. God spoke of observing the Sabbath as a life and death issue because Knowing Jesus, the source of the Sabbath rest, is a matter of life and death to the soul. But once we understand that we can't possibly keep God's laws 
let alone our own laws that we make for ourselves. How many of you gave up on New Year's resolutions because you found out you just break those rules, break those resolutions? Part of it. We all, our need for Jesus becomes very evident to us when we realize there's no way we can do this without him. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24 says this, Therefore the law was our tutor or teacher to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now this isn't a very good translation actually of this verse because to bring us to, if you have a New King James Version Bible there, you'll, you'll see that to bring us is actually italicized. That's what the translators put. The, the New Living Translation, which I don't read very often, actually translates this the best. This verse here, it says, until Christ. The law came until Christ. That's really what it's saying. Because the law didn't bring people to Christ. The Apostle Paul, who followed the law, he said blamelessly. Anybody here? Can, anybody here can say that? Huh? No, he said, concerning the law, I was blameless. I had more zeal than everybody else. Of of all the Pharisees, I was the Pharisee among Pharisees. So concerning the law, I was blameless. And he he said, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. In other words, Paul said, the law didn't bring me to Christ. It brought me to self-righteousness. All right? And this guy was, and and if it brings him to Christ, if the law brings us to Christ, then the apostle Paul, who was, why is he trying to destroy the church? Right? Why is he just trying to destroy in the beginning of his life, the, or, or before, in the beginning of the church, why is he trying to destroy this message of the gospel? If the law brings you to Christ, if it brings you to Christ, he would have said, yeah, oh, hallelujah, there it is. This law brought me right to you. This is what I've been looking for. No, he was trying to destroy that way because the law does not bring one to Christ. The law brings one to self-righteousness. And anybody that self-righteousness has no place, no room, no thought of Christ in their life. This says the law was our tutor until Christ came that we might be justified how? By faith, not by works. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Matthew chapter 11, Verse 28 says this, Jesus is speaking, Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There are some of you who came in here today heavy, weighed down, weighed down with burdens. You're restless. I want you to just be honest with me right now. If that's you, could you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you right now in this moment. Lord, thank you. You see these hands, Lord. You see these weary and tired, Lord. You see these who are bearing burdens. And I thank you, Lord, right now we just make the exchange. Jesus, you said come to you, so we come to you now. And we give you what we have. We cast our cares upon you because you care for us. Thank you, Lord. We make this exchange. We receive your yoke, which is easy, and your burden, which is light. Easy and light. Easy and light. Thank you, Lord, that you are a very present help in time of need right now for your people. Hallelujah. Everybody said, amen. Come to me. 
We've got to have these moments in our lives where we come to him and find rest. The scripture says that in Hebrews that we labor, we, if you're going to labor in anything, labor to enter rest. Labor to enter into rest. It's so important for us to understand. It's important to God that God himself even rested on the seventh day. Rested on the seventh day. He worked six days creating the worlds, creating everything that we know about this world, us and all the animals and everything. On the seventh day, he rested. There's, there's got to be a time in your life, a time in your day when you come to him and you rest in his presence. You rest at his feet. And let him minister to you. Let him breathe fresh life into you. Because the thing is about being a Christian, it's a daily war that we're in. You know, it's a daily war. And the war is most of the time with this flesh. Yeah, we've got the devil to contend with from time to time. And we have the world in its system. But you've got to live with that flesh every day of your life. And that flesh is against the things of the spirit. And the spirit is against the things of the flesh. So we have to have that time when we can come to God and receive his strength and receive his help. This place called rest. How we see God is everything. It makes all the difference in the world. Our, our concept of who he is will affect what we say and do and think in this life. How we see ourselves, how we see others, and how we see different situations that we face. You know, many of us, maybe, I think probably most of you in this room grew up with a concept about God. And that concept had to do with matters of what's right and matters of what's wrong. And we've even been taught that God's fundamental focus is that how you need to do what's right and how to avoid what's wrong. And so therefore, we've been trained many times to look at the scriptures in that, through that scope of what's right and what's wrong. So then our walk with God and our life becomes about performance. It becomes about doing and striving and you know, avoiding doing and not doing and abstaining and prohibiting. And it, it's, it, it's a circus. It's a circus. And you find no rest in living like that. You find no rest. Oh, you might find a little self-satisfaction in making sure that you did all the right stuff and you can check your little list and put a gold star on your pocket. But it doesn't impress God. Because that's not what he's after. He's not after uh, behavior modification for you. That's not why Jesus died. He didn't die to make bad people good. He died to make dead people live. We were far from just doing bad stuff. We were dead in our sins. And we needed resurrection. We needed him to breathe life into us. And to receive his grace by faith. There's this continual renewal of the mind that must take place concerning this very thing. Otherwise, you find yourself trapped in self-righteousness. I wish that God, well, I say I wish that God, just knowing what I do know at this point in life, I do wish that God had given me 
nothing but pure thoughts when I got saved. You know, wouldn't that have been great if all this would have got fixed too, as well as the heart, that the head would have been all right, and then you would never think a bad thought or, or you know, not, I mean, all of this was just like right in line with everything that's good and everything that's God, and you never thought one wrong, bad thought of somebody else, and you always thought kindly toward others, and uh, I, man, that would have been great, but God didn't do that. He fixed our heart, and he said, you fix your head. And you fix your head by listening to the spirit man or listening to the heart. And you fix your head by listening to the word of God and to reading the word of God and speaking the word of God. That's how you fix what's up here. My Pentecostal upbringing was, we'd we'd hear this phrase often, well, the Holy Ghost just took over. Really? Your life, that's what it looks like when the Holy Ghost takes over? I don't think I want that. If the Holy Ghost takes over, I think we're going to know it. I think we're going to know it. Huh? But he's not going to do that. But I'll tell you what he will do. The more you give to him, he'll take it. But he wants you to choose it. He needs you to choose it because God has given us this free will. Be nice if he just took over and, okay, yeah, yeah, you just control this body and do whatever you want. No, he, he, he needs you to make these surrenders to him. He needs you to, if you'll give it to him, he'll, he'll take it and he'll expand in you and he'll grow in you and show you greater things. But he's, this is a relationship that we are in. This is not a regulation. Huh? This is a relationship within. This is a two-way street. It works. Two working together. Amen. Everybody all right? God is not some punitive, harsh, judgmental, exacting God. He's not looking down upon us, wishing that we'd finally get something right in our life. Huh? Now, we can be that way, especially if you, how many of you are married in here? You know what that's like. And it's pretty easy to anticipate if your spouse has done you wrong once or twice, maybe three or four times, that there's a good chance they're going to repeat that again because they haven't proven how sorry they are by actually changing. So that we get phrases like, you always say that. Why don't you prove it to me? Y'all weren't supposed to get quiet. <laughs> because we got to live with each other. We see the mistakes and we see the, the cyclical things, you know? And I, maybe I'm alone here. I was all alone in the first service, so maybe I'm alone <laughs> in this service too, that I've repeated the same sin at least twice. And, and went and talked to God about it and thinking, well, Lord, I'm here again. I know I said I repented, but I know I said I was sorry before, uh, but here I am again. And with the thought that God's thinking, yeah, of course you are. I knew you were going to do that. You always do that. What if he was like that? No, but here's, what, here's the thing we find with God. The scripture says, come boldly before the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, when we come before him, we find grace and mercy. And the cool thing about mercy is it's always brand new. Every day, the scripture says his mercies are brand new. So your approach to the throne and God is always a new experience. Imagine that, that he's not looking, going, okay, well, there it is again. There you did it again. You did it again. 
No, he doesn't. He's not counting our sins. As a matter of fact, see, this is, this is what's so great about the gospel. The gospel is not an accounting gospel. The gospel is a free message to us. It's love to us from God that says God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. If God's holding something against you, then he did Jesus wrong. Then Jesus didn't really fully take care of your sins, but oh, but he did. So then therefore God's not exacting your wrong. He's not, he is not, not, not looking at your failures. Matter of fact, he's not expecting you to fail. You know why? Because he didn't expect himself to fail and you look just like him. You have the very same spirit that he does living in you. Why would he expect you to fail? Why would he expect you to falter? Why would he expect you to waver? He doesn't expect that because you have his nature on the inside of you. You've been born all over again. You're not who you once were. The old things are gone and the new things have come. Huh? So God has a good expectation of you. You got to get God's expectation of yourself then. You see yourself like God sees you. Guess what? You'll stop tripping up so much. But if you're thinking that God's over here on, in, the, in the good, waiting for you to get all this bad out and finally show up where he is, well, you're never going to catch up. Because he's not there waiting. He's with you right now, a very present help. He's not somewhere down there at the finish line going, come on, get this, come on. No, he's right with you right now. All right, because he believes in the perfection that he accomplished through Jesus Christ. He believes that you already made righteous by Jesus. He believes that you already are perfect. You just got to convince your flesh of that. That's the deal. The flesh is fighting that perfection all the time. Man, it's good at fighting that perfection too, isn't it? It's fighting it all the time. But God has this thing that he wants us to enter into called rest, which is trust in Jesus and his finished work. And we don't strive in this relationship with God because God has a hope for us. Hey, so let me just say to you, husbands and wives, cut each other a break. Cut each other a break. Don't count your sins against each other. Love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't keep bringing to remembrance the wrongs does not rejoice in iniquity. It rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things, endures all things. Amen. So believe and believe the best. Uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 25 says, but if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. Wow. Now think about that for a moment. All of you have a hope for something here today. You have a hope for something that you don't see, but you have an expectation that you're going to see it. Ultimately, as believers, it's heaven, right? It's Jesus. We're going to see him face to face. Hallelujah. Jesus said, hey, Thomas, blessed are you. I mean, you've seen me. And so that's why you believe. But blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Peter said, though we haven't seen him, yet we know him. Someday we're going to see him face to face in the flesh. We have this hope. And you have, hope, you have hopes about your children. You have hopes about your career. You have hopes about your own health. You have hopes about, about a lot of things that you don't see yet, but yet you have this expectation of good. 
So if we hope for that we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with, what is it, Jeremiah? Patience. <laughs> Patience. Yeah, you're welcome. I thought you'd like that. That's, that's a word for you too, Stephen. Patience. We eagerly wait for it with patience. In, in other words, we're willing, we're willing to wait how, however long it takes. That's what patience is. Willing to wait however long it takes. <laughs> Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. So in other words, just as you hope for what you do not see, you do not see, the Spirit hopes for you. So I'm saying he has nothing but hope for you. Not evil expectation. He has hope for you. You're going to grow. You're going to get stronger. You're going to do better. Hmm? This is how God sees you. He expects good from you. He is able to even take your mess and turn it into a message. Amen. He can make all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So we got to rest in him. We got to trust him. There was a, a man I went to go visit some, some time ago, a number of years ago, who had an open heart surgery, and it was very extensive. It was a, actually, I'd never even heard of this. It was a sextuple bypass. And so um, it took quite a while for him to recover. But while he was in recovery, I went to see him, and as I'm visiting him, he was panicking a bit, trying to breathe. He was really sore and really struggling. So he's you know, trying to breathe, and the alarm starts going off uh, in, the, in the room, and the nurse comes in and told him, you need to relax, you need to relax. You're hooked up to a machine that is doing the breathing for you. So don't fight it. It will, it will breathe for you. And once she told him, just relax and let the machine do the work. Boy, everything calmed down, and he could breathe. Listen, you have the spirit or the pneuma known as the breath of God living on the inside of you. And if you'll stop struggling in your own efforts, in your own ways, and let him fill you, let him fill you with that joy unspeakable and full of glory. Let him refresh you. Let him renew you. Hallelujah. Because that's what he's there for. He's living inside you right now, dwelling, abiding, staying. He used to come and go, but now he came to stay. Hallelujah. That's why King David said, take not your Holy Spirit from me, because I can't even imagine how maddening that was. He would have these awesome moments with God, but then the Holy Spirit would say, sorry, I can't live in that unredeemed body. I can't live in that unredeemed spirit until Jesus comes. But when Jesus came, hallelujah, and he died for our sins, and God no longer saw, he reconciled us to himself. The Holy Spirit could come and live right on the inside of us and be there every day of our lives. Hallelujah. Breathing life into us. Since we live in the Spirit, the Scripture says, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let's look at Galatians for a moment, and I'll finish with this thought. Galatians uh, chapter 5, verse 16. I say, then walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust or the desires of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. How many of you are Christians in here? Okay, I'm good. I'm in good company. All right. You've lived life probably long enough as a Christian to know that that is daily true. The flesh against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. As I've said before, if ever, if ever you're having any trouble sleeping at night, you're having that restless night, just open your Bible and start reading. You will 
fall right to sleep because the flesh is like, no, I don't want any of that. <laughs> or lay there, try to just pray in tongues. You'll just go right to sleep. I don't want any of that. Hmm? Or if ever, if or you ever feel like time is flying by, fast. It'll be the longest day of your life. Right? All of a sudden, everything just, whoa. Whoa. Oh, my God. I'm feeling every second of this fast. This isn't so fast. This is slow. That was a joke. Anyway, the flesh is against the spirit. Right? It doesn't want to be nice to be. It doesn't want to share. It doesn't want to be kind. It doesn't want to say nice things. Your tongue just wants to say nasty things. It does. You have to bring it under control. And you can. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Who's you? Now we've got to figure out who the you is here. Because this makes all the difference in your walk with God right here. Makes all the difference in, in how you're gonna, whether you're gonna rest or you're gonna strive. All right? And if you to you is this flesh, then you will strive. But if you to you is your spirit, now we're talking. He says, You do not do the things that you wish. Paul is actually referring to you, the spirit man. Because he said, I find a law in Romans chapter 7. He said, I find a law that evil is present with me, the one who wants to do good. The one who wants to do the right thing. I delight in the word of God according to the inward man. But I find another law in my flesh, warring against the law of my mind. I find, another, I find this evil that's in my flesh that is, that's where the sin is. The sin is not in me, it's in this flesh that I live in. So, if you say you're a sinner saved by grace, then you're admitting that you live by the flesh and not the spirit. Because if you're living by the Spirit, then you're simply saved by grace. That part of you has been perfected forever. And you know what? When you got born again, you got the right desire, my family. You got the right desire. Otherwise, if if you don't have the right desire, then you didn't really get God's Spirit. You became the righteousness of God in Him, which means it fixed all of your desires. And made your desires right. That's why I'm saying that's what makes this grace so wonderful. And I'm happy to say that grace has come to you so that you can go do whatever you want. Yeah, I'm gonna say that one more time. I said, Grace has come to you so that you can go do whatever you want because you, the Spirit, will do the right thing. The flesh is is keeping me from doing what I really want to do. That's why when you do sin, it grieves you that you've sinned. Something in you doesn't feel right. If you, if, if you did not have a born-again spirit, if you did not have his nature, you wouldn't care how much you sinned. But if there's something inside going, that's having a hard time with that, that's you. Just turn to somebody and tell them, you're pretty awesome. In the spirit. <laughs> That's how, that's how revolutionized you are, your life has become. The old things are gone. The new things have come. You are a new creation. 
He didn't just put new parts on you and kind of refurbish the old you. No, he took the old out of the way and recreated you all over again. And now you have his nature inside you. That's why I'm saying if you'll accept this grace and if you'll rest in him, then you can truly do what you really want to do. It's like I asked that little eight-year-old girl, or she was eight years old then, Savannah. Savannah, what's her last name? Stone. She got baptized in the Holy Ghost and started speaking in tongues here one night. And her daddy was telling me about it. He said she, she got baptized in the Spirit in, uh, at kids camp or something. And she looks at me just as sincerely as can be. She says, yeah, now I say what I really want to say. I'm like, whoa. Now I say what I really want to say. And when you rest in him, then you'll live how you really want to live. You rest in him, then you'll say what you really want to say. You rest in him, you'll do what you really want to do. When you fully accept and fully trust in Jesus, just trust in him. He did all the work that was necessary for you. Christ died. Christ was buried. Christ rose again. And whoever believes in him will receive that rest. Father, thank you for this time together with these wonderful people. Lord, help us to make this connection to rest. Help us, Lord, to, to not rob ourselves or be robbed of this rest. That rest has to do with where we come to the end of our own selves and realize this is not about right and wrong. This is about a God who loved us, who gave us his son, who so loved us that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, Lord. And all who do not enter that rest truly will perish. Lord, you made a way for us that those who believe on him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And that in this world, even though, Jesus, you said in this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And we rest in you today. We rest in your power. We rest in your ability. We rest in your knowledge. We rest in your truth. We rest in your love and your mercy and your grace and your kindness toward us. Thank you, Lord. Right now that you are a very present help for all here today. Thank you, Lord. No more striving. No more straining. No more performing but just enjoying him in his presence. Letting God love us. Just receiving your great love for us. And Lord, as a result, we love. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he first loved us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.